Hello, and welcome to MSPHD, More School Pursuing Higher Degrees. It's a podcast where we talk to current or former graduate students and learn from each other's experiences. I'm your host, Sarah Roscoe, currently a third-year PhD student in computer science. In episode two, I have a conversation with Elizabeth Carlson. She recently defended her dissertation and is about to get her PhD in mathematics from the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. Elizabeth and I met a few years ago in a Bible study on campus called Christian Graduate Fellowship, and she's just been an inspiration to me because of her kindness, her commitment to her work, and her openness to conversation and sharing her experiences. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Elizabeth Carlson. Hello, Elizabeth. How are you? I am doing good this morning. How are you? Pretty good. Uh, Congratulations on passing your defense. That's so great. Yes, thank you. I was kind of excited for a couple of days. I was just really, really happy. And then my mom went into my phone and she changed my name to Dr. Z. And I was looking at my watch. It was getting me my, my activity updates. And I'm like, why is it calling me Dr. Z? I sound like a Bond villain. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I remembered. She changed my name in my phone without telling me. <laughs> That's really funny. <laughs> it was a funny surprise. So that was that was fun. And my yeah, it was fun. It was it was good. It went really well. I was really happy with how it went. And uh, yeah, it was exciting. Yeah, it was it was really fun to watch too. Just like see all the stuff that you've been working on. Oh, thanks. Yeah. It, it, it's been a lot, but it feels like not enough at the same time. <laughs> Always could do more, right? <laughs> I feel like that's our one of our uh, problems <laughs> as graduate students. We're like, oh, we could do this too, and then we could do that, and then we could do that too. <laughs> Just add it on to the list. Add it on to the list, yeah, right. Can you say a little bit about what your, like, what your area of research is and kind of what your thesis was on? Yeah, yeah. So um, I am graduating with a PhD in mathematics. It's really exciting. Um, uh, My research is in um, partial differential equations. So um, basically what I work on, what I worked on specifically was data assimilation, a a new version of data assimilation, um, one we can attack analytically as well as computationally. So I kind of bridge, I try to do like applied math where we do some theory and some applications with computations and stuff. And I really like walking that line because both sides have their strengths and they really talk to each other. And it was really apparent in my research how they talk to each other, which was really exciting for me. Um, Yeah, so I work on data simulation, which is basically like, if anybody knows a little bit of differential equations, you have differential equations and you wanna model change in the system, right? If I start at my house and I walk two miles, I end up at a different spot than if I start at the grocery store and walk two miles. So it really matters where I start. But if we want to model the wind or the ocean, that's really hard if we don't know where we're starting because it's really hard to measure where we're starting unless we have measurements everywhere all over the globe. And that's one, really expensive, and two, very inconvenient for all of us living on yeah, this planet. Probably. <laughs> so um, data simulation is like, okay, well, we do have some observations. How can we use them to um, get a good prediction of what's going on out there? And um, turns out that certain systems have very specific properties 
that a certain number, a finite number of spots can actually determine the entire flow field uh, once the flow is turbulent enough. And voila, we can recover the solution as long as we're assimilating the data in, in some way. So it's really cool stuff. And there's a lot of work being done there. There's a lot of work that's been done there since the 70s, I think. So it's in some sense, if you consider from the 70s, it's very fairly new. <laughs> area of research in some sense yeah it's interesting how like different fields and even different like topics of study within those fields are considered new like in machine learning new is like last week you're right yeah oh that's so cool i really like i love how it's I love applied math. I think like I'm kind of in applied math, kind of. I'm like, like right in the bridge between like computer science and math type things, which is cool. It is cool. You'll have to tell me more about your research sometime. I'd love to hear more about it. Yeah. Yeah. I have to come up with like an elevator pitch because I don't, I don't know how to describe it like concisely and not technically yet. I'm working yeah. on that. <laughs> oh yeah, I know. I remember my advisor telling me that. I think it was the beginning of my or middle of my third year. He was like, we're gonna go to conferences and you need an elevator pitch. So let's practice. And so I started like, uh, okay. Um, um, and he's like, that's not gonna work. <laughs> so, like, I'd sit there and think about it and then come up with one. And he helped me, um, he helped me shape it. I had it most of the rough draft and he's like, oh, well, add this thing here and add this thing there. Because at the time he knew much more of the literature than I did when I was starting out. So mm -hmm. it was really helpful to like go through that with my advisor. And then once you're at like a conference, you can talk to people like, hey, I'm working on this. And they're like, oh, I'm working on this. And that's how you start collaborations. And it's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. I've been to like two conferences, but those were in undergrad. And I'm really excited to, I mean, once like things open up, yeah. I'm really excited to like go to actual conferences in my area and like meet people. Yeah, totally. I, one thing that I didn't realize how valuable it was, but my advisor has been really good about preparing me. Like there are so many things like, oh, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. And he's like, you need to do this, this, and this to help prepare you. And I was like, now looking back, I'm like, oh my gosh, my advisor is the best. <laughs> he maybe he's like, you should go to this conference. Can you go to this conference? Go to that conference. Go to this conference. Go to that conference. And um, just going to conferences and the department seminars, for example. One, with conferences, you really learn how to network that way. Um, going to dinner with people and just listening and being friendly and talking, asking them about their research. People love to talk about their research. So if you show any interest, they're going to just blab on it. Awesome. And you get to learn so many things that way. But one of the most underappreciated things, something I didn't realize until my second year almost was I decided for some bizarre reason, I have no idea why, but my first year of graduate school, I'm like, okay, I'm going to go to all of the PDE seminars, even though I understand nothing. <laughs> and I understood nothing the entire year, except for a little bit of um, MMA activity that Daniel Tundikov was teaching on because he did a fabulous job illustrating it for newbies like me. Um, could I tell you what he said now? No, but it was great at the time. And I remember being like, okay, for the first year, just sitting in those seminars, 
hearing how they spoke and what they were talking about and seeing the theorems pop up and again, just kind of seeing the pattern of how the proofs were presented and things like that really helped grow my understanding in ways that I wasn't anticipating. And most people are like, ah, oh, first year you tube into classes, don't worry about seminars. And I'm like, actually, that was actually really important for me hmm. to just go to that seminar. And maybe it would have been better if I'd stuck more rigorously to going to the student PD reading seminar, but I think I was too scared knowing I didn't have to contribute in PD seminar yet, but maybe I'd have to contribute in the student one. <laughs> I don't know, but I started going to that one regularly in my second year and beyond. And, um, but for a year and it's it's really good. So student seminars are really good because it's a safe place to practice and fumble and learn a lot together and study. We also explore new topics together. I, I love seminars. I love conferences. I think they're really great for um, professional development and not only just like networking wise, but intellectually, honestly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great. I, I totally agree that like watching talks and like watching people present things really teaches you like oh okay I like I should incorporate that into when I next do my talk mm -hmm. uh, yeah yeah for sure what's it like having the last year or or more being remote while you're working on your dissertation? For me, that has actually been a blessing because I had to have a, um, a knee surgery um, for an old injury. And so I was able to work from home um, quite a bit, but it didn't really impact my work because I most of the things I do are on my own anyways. And then I can just meet with people over Zoom. It's nicer to meet in person, I must admit. And you can it's a little easier to write stuff on the board and stuff, but I was at the point where a lot of it was like, okay, there's this little idea here. There's this little idea here, wrap this up, wrap that up. And applying for jobs takes a ridiculous amount of time. And so a lot of that I was able to just do on my own. So it didn't impact me too much, but allowed me some freedom to um, recover from the surgery and get more done. So in some sense, yeah, well, I get to open up again. Absolutely, please, please, please. I would like my in-person meetings back. I find them very helpful, but but it's been it's been manageable for sure, and blessings in some and a blessing in some ways. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Uh, okay, now, how do you manage your time? Like, what's your what's your time management strategy? I feel like I'm still working on that. Yes, same. <laughs> so when I first started, for me, graduate the graduate school jump was really big because my undergrad was like very applied math. I had a couple of proof courses um, and they were good proof courses, but I feel like I needed more to be prepared at least for the, the, the rate at which they throw material at you in graduate school. And um, so I came into graduate school and I'm like, okay, this will be fine. This will be fine this will be fine. And I was working like, like sunrise to past sunset. And then Narrator. on weekends, it, was not fine. Uh, it wasn't fine. I was telling myself it was fine. <laughs> so I would, I would act fine and I would feel fine. Um, but it was a big adjustment for me um, at first. And then I kind of just carried that bad habit of like, Ooh, I should work all the time. I know I can work all the time. So I should do everything in my power to get as much done as possible. 
and um, I was also afraid of failing because of how rough my first year was, and um, it was just really hard. And I, I kind of crashed and burned, and like, like okay, my, I, my, my body and my mind couldn't handle working nonstop. And if I wasn't working, I was thinking about work, and that's not healthy. Hmm. Um, I think it was the first time I went and took a martial arts class, and uh, I think it was October 2019 or something like that. And I was like, I got to do something. So I, I finally like, okay, I should actually go find an outside activity to go do. <laughs> and I went to do it. And after it, I was like, oh my gosh, I didn't think about work that entire time. Cause I physically couldn't, I was trying to, you know, practice the moves and everything. Yeah. And I was just like, wow, uh, that felt really good to not think about work for an hour. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so something that I've really come to understand is that if I actually maintain a good work-life balance, like I work for a certain number of hours a day. Um, of course, if you need to push, push, right? And then take the time off and shut work off so that you can partition. This is my work time. This is my play time. And not necessarily play time, but like, you know, personal development or uh, yeah. exercise, and which is, I guess, in some sense, is personal development. Um, and just trying to do that um, to keep, because it makes your work better and more productive in general. Like working for 12 or 16 hours is not productive if you're sitting there staring at the wall like I want to take a nap but I won't take a nap because I want to keep working Mm. it take the nap for heaven's sake (laughs) go rest for a bit and find that be help I find that to be very helpful so time management wise I I think it's really dependent on the person and your schedule I find that my schedule is a little messed up right now because of recovery and where I'm staying at Um, but I really like getting up early in the morning and then getting and getting to work at like seven, seven, between seven and eight, and then punching through the whole day and then having my evening to myself. My ideal schedule would be like 10 hours a day. I would love to do that. Um, but sometimes things come up and you've got meetings and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. When I'm like in a regular schedule, not trying to wrap things up, it's like a weird time right now. That's my ideal schedule. That's kind of what I was doing pre-COVID a little bit was like, okay, get up at 5.30, do my morning devotions, get ready to go, go to work, work until five or six, and then go do stuff, whatever I had planned for the evening. And the nice thing was I had things planned in the evening. So I had to go. I'm one of those people like, if I plan something, I don't like saying, never mind, I won't do it. So it's how I trick myself into going to do things. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yes. I think that's the biggest thing for me is when does your brain work best? Force yourself to take the time off. And um, in, in a way that you enjoy, obviously, don't just make, oh, I have to go. Um, and yeah, I think that's, that's most of it. Mm-hmm. Just, just have a balanced life and figure out what that means for you. Because for each person, it's different. Yeah. I remember when I learned the lesson of I should have a fixed number of hours that I work per day. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was, it was my first summer and I was teaching a class for the first time. It was like, it's really condensed. So you're meeting like five days a week. Uh, and I was like really overwhelmed because each day I'm just like, like kind of flying by the seat of my pants. Like I'm, each, I'll come in the morning. I'll be like, okay, what are, what am I teaching today? Figure that out, go teach it. And then I would spend just like hours in the afternoon, uh, like trying to 
work on labs and homeworks and all of that stuff. And I would just like, there is a time, like I was maybe halfway through the course. And then I, I realized like, I'm not actually doing anything productive when I go back to the office after dinner. Like I should just maybe not. And so I, mm-hmm. I tried it for like the next couple of days and I was like, oh, wow, this is great. Like I spent my time better and I'm more focused. And it was, and I remember I talked to my advisor like after I had made this change and he was like, yeah, good for you. <laughs> like that's good. <laughs> so I was like, okay, okay. I can, so yeah, I kind of just had to like give myself permission to not work forever. And like, even like this semester, I've been, I've like had a really good schedule where I like go to work at like 9.30 or something and then I'll work until five or six and then that's it for the day. And I take weekends off and it's amazing. Yeah, that is, that is really nice. It's, it's super good when you can do that. I mean, like the only thing I could get worried about is like, sometimes I hear people, I was just talking to someone actually uh, in graduate school and they were saying, our professors tell us that we have to work like 70 hours a week in order to get everything done. And work, do we want that for our lives? Is that good for our sanity? And I'm like, well, it depends on where you're at. Do you need to push? Is there a time you need to push? Mm-hmm. Yes. But if you're smart and you work hard and you get the help you need, sometimes you will have to pull those 12 hours shifts for yeah. the whole week and then yeah. put time in on, put a little bit of time in on the weekends and that will suck for a bit, but it doesn't have to be the whole time. It certainly won't be your whole time in graduate school. You'll hit a point where you're like, oh, okay, I'm dragging now. Um, so there's a, there, I feel like at any point in your career, there's some sort of ramp up yeah. period. And the question is how long do you let that ramp up period last? Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like that ramp up period for me was my first year. And then I pushed to make it more like, oh, look how much I can get done now that I understand more. I can keep the same crazy schedule and do more. And then bad crash. No, no, that's not a good idea. <laughs> and mental sanity is important. And it makes the, the point is the reason it's important, even for a job, and the reason I think jobs focus so much on keeping a good schedule is that we work better when we have rest. There's mm-hmm. a reason we need to rest. I mean, if we could, if we didn't have to sleep, that would be nice, but you know, (laughs) yeah, we do have to sleep. (laughs) What do you love about being in graduate school or like, what's something that you've loved in your time in graduate school? I really love learning and I feel like graduate school, I've always been taught to like learn on my own because I was homeschooled growing up. So I've been taught to self-learn really well, but when I went to college and that was my first classroom and I was like, what is this? Um, (laughs) I very much like, oh my gosh, I'm learning a lot from these classes. It was like an adjustment to a new form of learning, but I felt like I was getting a lot out of the particular classes. And I felt like that all the way up through graduate school until it was like a certain point, I think it was my third year or something, I was taking some courses and I was like, oh, 
I could learn this on my own now. Like sometimes it helps when you have that material that hard for someone to explain it to you. And I think you'll always need that. But in a course format, it feels like, oh, well, that's, I don't need it in a course format anymore. I have that ability to figure things out, ask people questions, and then go finish figuring it out for, for most things that I need for my job anyways. Um, and that's really, that was really confidence building in some sense. I, I really loved that part of like growing through graduate school and being like, oh my gosh, it's really pushed me through these courses and through this research. And I've learned a lot. All these people pushed me and I love being pushed. I love learning new things. It's one of my favorite, like if I'm not being pushed, I feel like I'm in the doldrums and it sucks. <laughs> so, <laughs> I have, to, I feel like being pushed kind of invigorates me in some sense. Um, so I, I loved that about graduate school is being pushed to learn more things and do hard things and, and learn, and learn. I just love learning. And now, even though I don't think I would want to do court take courses again, I found out that each year test taking got more and more anxiety inducing, mm. <laughs> but um, I, I, I loved that I was pushed. I loved that I was pushed to a place where I can be a lot more self, um, self, self-reliant in some sense when it comes to learning, you can still ask a lot of questions and you should, and I'm learning how to do that in the professional environment. Um, by attending conferences, actually, <laughs> I learned by watching how other people interact and and farther in their careers and how they learn. Mm-hmm. Finding out that not every mathematician knows everything is very encouraging. Yes, <laughs> there's um, no magic person who knows everything. <laughs> the naivety of of teenagers, <laughs> right? They must know everything. They've got a PhD. oh they must have their life all together oh my gosh yes that was that was naive um but yeah I really love that part about about graduate school it's really a good a good training ground for a hard job honestly we have a a PhDs go into hard jobs fun fun jobs Mm -hmm. go into really fun jobs but they're hard but I mean you don't go to graduate school unless you like doing hard things I think so yeah yeah uh, so when you talk about uh, like being pushed to learn new things, where is that like where is that motivation coming from? Is it from like your advisor or the other students or uh, or professors? I feel like um, for me, especially with my first year being so hard, the courses and the course requirements really pushed me. Um, but I also feel like my advisor knew my skill levels and he always pushed me to do my best mm-hmm. and that's exactly the kind of advisor I wanted and needed so if you can push my buttons and know how to help me get places I really want to get to the point I think I'm almost to the point where I can do that myself most of the time because I've been able to identify my triggers in some sense what helps push me to like oh find this piece here, find that piece there. And a lot of it's my stubbornness. So if it's bothering me, I won't let it go until I figure it out. So (laughs) if I can, I'm like, I'm just going to be stubborn about this. I could like, oh, I could push and figure it out and work there and get to it. And um, of course, in balance with, you know, work-life balance and stuff and trying and using that to help you do better as well. Figuring out how all the pieces of your life fit together to push you farther is I think a really big thing about one of the biggest things I learned in graduate school and I really appreciated what I learned through that journey even though it was tough (laughs) yeah yeah and I think like the process of becoming self-motivated is 
one like one of the points of the PhD. Like that's something, yeah, that's something that I'm learning right now. Uh, like trying to drive my own research project and figure out like a what what uh, research project am I gonna do next and all of that. And I think, yeah, I think it's a really good skill to learn. It's really hard at first. Like I remember mm -hmm. my first year, year and a half, I was, uh, I was like, I have no idea what I want to research. I don't know what research looks like because I came in without, like without any research experience. And so I felt really lost mm -hmm. and I, I think I was really lucky to have an advisor to, uh, who would just like, okay, read, like read this paper and, and he would, we would meet regularly and I would tell him like, oh, here's the sort of stuff that I'm reading until I stumbled on something. I was like, okay, this is what I want to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know. I feel that. I feel like a lot of us come into graduate school with a certain amount of self-motivation and because otherwise, why would we have applied to graduate school, right? Mm -hmm. We're motivated to go continue doing these cool things. And we're like, I always got told, oh my gosh, you're so motivated. You're so tenacious. And I'm like, but I have a lot of people helping me and pushing me. And I pe think people don't understand how much of a support system we rely on and have. And that really helps us grow to become more self-motivated. I think we all start with a certain level of self-motivation, but it grows through graduate school and it grows through understanding how the academic world works. And mm -hmm. it's really, I love how you said your advisor really helped shape you that way. He really, mine had really helped shape me that way as well. And I really appreciate, I really appreciate my advisor. Good advisor is a very important thing. <laughs> yep. Yep. Uh, what have been some challenges that you've experienced? Um, I think I've already kind of touched a bit on these. Um, my first year was really rough, but I got through it and passed everything. Um, it was just, I had to push a lot in order to figure everything out, which was good. Um, but I think one of the biggest challenges was that I took that time and said, ooh, I can work all the time. This is like goldmine discovery. <laughs> <laughs> so now I'm gonna work all the time on everything and that was a mistake and that was one of the biggest mistakes for sure um so going through that after I was like I don't want to do this anymore because <laughs> I just done too much um and being like okay I do love this stuff I just have to push through the burnout and um reorganize my work-life balance and then do work and then go do something and then go do work and then go do something else like, you know, work day, go do something, work day, go do something, work day, go do something and take, take one day off a week. If you can just remove yourself for an entire day from work for some reason, that one day between your sleep cycles makes a huge difference. Mm -hmm. I sometimes, maybe it's every two weeks you take a day off. I don't know, but it really helps. And so I think one of the biggest challenges for me was actually identifying that I needed a work-life balance. <laughs> that was probably one of my biggest challenges. That and of course the material was very challenging, but it's supposed to be. It's yep. it's it's great. So we are both part of the Christian Graduate Fellowship. Right. Yeah. That's one way to do community. What other ways of community have you found? 
Um, okay, so when I left Nebraska for Los Alamos, I found community. But when I was in Nebraska, I had one thing I attended regularly besides Christian Grad Fellowship because I didn't find Christian Grad Fellowship until my third year, mm-hmm. which was really annoying. I was like, no, this exists. I'm so pumped. We need I to do better know- marketing. <laughs> Well, then there's me who doesn't Google anything. It's a problem. (laughs) It's partially my fault. Unless I see it come in my email, I don't think, I don't know if it exists. (laughs) Mm. Um, uh, Yeah, so um, uh, in Nebraska, I didn't have much other than BSF, um, Bible Study Fellowship, which was really great. Um, I did that as a kid, and then it was kind of like a piece of home away from home. Mm-hmm. But that was only like, oh, I didn't do anything like outside of the Monday night study. So it was kind of like a group of ladies who didn't, who kind of we talked once or in a while, like outside of the study, but not much. Um, so I didn't feel like that was like a super big community community that super invested into. Um, you prayed for each other, but you guys didn't talk much out of that outside of that. Um, and then I had Christian grad fellowship during my last year, but I didn't feel like I got to know you guys as much until this past year. Mm-hmm. So um, I didn't really have a community in Nebraska um, because I was working all the time. I kind of kept my community with my coworkers and grad school. This is something I want to highlight. Grad school feels like this weird place between a job and school. And I think I treated it more like school than a job and mm. I probably should have treated it more like a job and so I had a lot of friends well a couple of friends in in my um among, among the other graduate students in my department and they were really great and my office mates were great and we would do stuff once in a while we'd study together and regularly and once in a while when we had a break in our schedules it was just like you know once a semester we'd do something fun um we're like I was like, that's great, but I should have made time to not just do that. I should have made time to like find another group outside of the university that I could have attached to. And I found that when I moved to Santa Fe after a few months, because I was still stuck in like, oh, let's work all the time. Okay, I'll go, I'll go work at the lab on the summer school that I'm in, and then I'm gonna go back and work on my research on the weekend. <laughs> and I would just be like, oh coffee shop. I enjoy my coffee shop spot. I'm going to treat myself to lunch here and then I'm going to work all day. And that was kind of my settle in and cozy down time. And I kind of treated that as fun. And I, that was a bad idea. Um, so once I realized that that was a bad idea, I started being like, okay, what should I get involved in so that I can, you know, pull out of that. And I found a, a church that really helped um, kind of um, pull me out of my doldrums. I mean, going to church doesn't it's like going to BSF in some sense, you go there, you go home, um, mm-hmm. unless you're like involved with the people directly and doing stuff, which I did end up volunteering later on. Um, but I ended up finding a small group and that small group I could fellowship with. And we were a lot closer because not only would we meet once a week, um, our discussions were, were deeper because they weren't following like a lesson plan or anything. And we ended up praying for each other a lot and then meeting each other for coffee outside and like actually building relationships outside of work. And so I was like, oh, that was really nice. And then martial arts and um, once a, once or twice a week just to like, because I hated exercise. I've hated exercise ever since I was little. Unless I feel like it's doing something secondarily productive, I 
don't like doing it. So for me, martial arts feels like, oh, I am getting a workout and I am learning how to defend myself if something bad happens. This is mm-hmm. great. <laughs> so it's how I psyched my, psyched my brain into doing something. Um, so for me, those are kind of the two main things that I ended up focusing on to kind of build a separate community that was separate from work so that when I was socializing, work wasn't still there. And I think that's part of work-life balance. If you're socializing with your coworkers, you're still kind of thinking about work because they're associated with work, right? Mm-hmm. So it's not it's not a bad thing, of course, to hang out with your coworkers and get to know them. It's awesome. But work is still there on the back of your mind in some sense. And because they're associated with work, they're not completely separate from it. So finding friends who were separate from work was very helpful for me. And going hiking. Hiking's great. It's <laughs> amazing. I want to go yeah. hiking sometime. <laughs> come visit me <laughs> yes come visit me we'll go hiking <laughs> yeah I think like meeting people can also be really hard like like when you mention uh like going to church when it's kind of like you go there and you go home uh yeah when I was I was starting to try and find groups that like weren't associated with the department. Mm-hmm. Uh, that yeah, it's hard to just, like show up and be like, "Hello, I'm here to make friends. Please talk to me." <laughs> yeah, yeah. It just it takes I, it takes time. It does, and I actually remember feeling like that in high school and stuff because. Um, my sister and I, we were like, we, were, we lived in this small town, like small city, and we would do this program and it was an awesome program, but we kind of took all of our super skills and everybody thought of us as like the super kids, which we were just like, we're not super kids. Just, just, we're just doing what we want to do and, um, making friends. It kind of felt like we were like, Oh, we're the odd ones out sometimes. And I kind of like, you know, I didn't really care. I'm one of those people who's like, I don't care if you like, like me or not, I just want to, you know, do my thing and help others in some sense. And so, but I felt kind of like, oh, I do like being accepted and I like being talked to and I appreciated that. And then I did end up like, you know, forging some small close relationships for me. I really like my friendships to be close. Um, if they're like my good friends, otherwise I call them like my, oh yeah, they're my friends, but kind of a fr- like they're over their way. Mm-hmm. And then I've got my really close friends and I have a, a good number of those, those few people. And I really appreciated that. And I loved how those deep friendships and then me going into groups and realizing that my worth doesn't come from seeing how the group sees me, but my worth comes from what I know is true. And, um, so I was like, okay. I know how uncomfortable it feels to be in that situation. So I made a point of going into those situations, being myself and finding the the wallflowers who were like me and talking Mm -hmm. to them. And I actually did that um, and found one of probably my, my bestest friend by doing that. turns out she was just entertained and just sitting there watching, but she's, I'm like, Oh, she's not talking. She's not part of the in group. I'm going to go talk to her and see how she is and what's Mm -hmm. up with her and who she is. Cause I've never met her before. And because I'm a wallflower too, and I don't care. So let's go. Let's join the wallflowers together. <laughs> and 
it turned out to be the best friendship I have ever had. And I, um, so for me, joining groups and making friends has been less about, oh, I need to make friends and more about how can I help somebody make a friend? Can I be their friend? And that's really helped me, one, come out of my, oh, do they accept me, Shell? Because it doesn't matter if they accept me or not. I know who I am. And um, seeing how I can help other people. And that's really relieved a lot of the pressure in some sense of trying to make friends, which has been a really interesting, that's something I've kind of learned along the way too. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. I need to start doing that. (laughs) I've been the one who just like, goes and sits off to the side so I'd come find you <laughs> yes <laughs> so other than the like time management uh like hey you need you need a work-life balance would you have any tips for your past self at any point uh like before or during grad school Oof. I feel like anything that kind of went awry other than that was, or that could have gone awry um, was really taken care of by the circumstances. I think it was really, it just, everything really fell together really nicely as all I have to say about that. Um, Tips for my past self would be to, I guess one of the biggest underlying things of working so much is just to let go of control. You can't, one of the hardest things about our job is that we cannot control whether or not our research is going to turn out well. That's kind of the fun of it, right? We don't know if our research is going to have a positive result or a negative result. Yeah. And that can be very frustrating when you're a new graduate student, you're trying to get on a very saturated job market. It's very scary, but all you can do is your best. I like how my mom says, do your best, let God worry about the rest. And it's very true. Um, so let stop trying to control your life. That would be my tip for my past self. Do not control your life and invest your time in what matters. Mm. And when you do those things, your life will fall together in ways that you did not expect. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a great point. Like, because part of the fun is just exploring and seeing like what's yeah. out there and what you could possibly do. Mm-hmm. And because you're looking at new things, you don't know how it's going to work out. Yeah. So exactly. Revel in the excitement of that rather than the fear of failure. We're going to fail because uh, <laughs> I like what they say. You can't have you can't have success without failure. You fall ten times before you get before you succeed, right? You fall before you fly. So roll with the punches and enjoy the journey. Otherwise, what's the point of living if you're just frustrated and stressed and frazzled all the time? It's not a fun way to live. You could do you could choose to do something else with your life. You don't have to be in graduate school, but. I mean, if instead of taking that, oh my gosh, I have to get all this done and I don't know how I'm going to get it done. Oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. Well, enjoy the journey, do what you can, and then let it go. You can't control the the circumstances. You can only do what you can do. So enjoy that and see where it goes. 
Yeah. And I think it's also part of it is also like embracing the vulnerability in research and writing. Like, like you're kind of vulnerable because you don't want to be wrong and you want <laughs> yeah. everything to work out. Uh, so, yeah, I think I'm there's a, a resource that we like through the university we get an account to the national center for faculty development and diversity it's a mm -hmm. long name but like i have been watching their videos and reading their stuff and it's so good <laughs> and like the whole thing of of like writing as this vulnerable but like courageous act i got from them uh nice. which is just like I think it's transformed the way that I, I approach my work. Mm. That's cool. You're going to have to tell me more about that. Yeah. They also have a podcast. Hashtag not sponsored. Um, <laughs> Your non-sponsor sponsor, as uh, Michael Jr. podcast said. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I'm not sponsored by the Game of Life. I'm also not sponsored by NCFDD. Um, yeah, uh, I, if you have access to their stuff, I would just highly recommend it. They have one of their webinars, which is kind of in line with what we've been talking about already. Mm -hmm. They have a webinar on how to align your time with your priorities. And it's essentially just like, how do you block out your week with your tasks that you have to do? Mm -hmm. And uh, and so then that helps you to see like, oh, these are like the personal commitments I have. And this is the time that I actually have to work. So it's trying to make you put an amount of time to each of your tasks. And then like when that's done, you like, you have other things to do. You have the week planned out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 That's something I'm still working on. It's like, okay. I know what I have to do this week. I have a plan. I, I need to write it. I need to actually write it down and do one every week. I get really good at it for a couple weeks and then I peter out. And then, <laughs> so I'm like, okay, I need to plan that. So, and then B, oh, my problem is always, okay, I plan it and then it doesn't work out the way I planned. And mm -hmm. it drives me nuts. I'm like, oh, well, now that means I have to reschedule the rest of the week. And so I'm still trying to figure out the balance between, okay, I want to schedule my week. But I also have all these other things to do. How do I get it all done when my schedule is gone kablooey on Monday? <laughs> and for me, I think that at least the current plan is, okay, again, do your best. Get as much as you can done. Try to stick to a schedule, but don't let the schedule control you. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Anyways, it's still something I'm working on. But that's kind of my philosophy at this point. Make a schedule, but don't let it... Don't be afraid. Don't be upset if it goes kablooey because it will go kablooey every week. <laughs> there may be one magic week where it doesn't go kablooey, but that's very rare. <laughs> Plan for the kablooey. Plan for the kablooey. <laughs> Put it in the calendar. <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> uh. All right. Um, so do you want to rate your grad grad school experience on a five-star scale? 
if I rate it on the experiences it gave me and how much I learned um, and don't reflect on my stupidity in some sense <laughs> and my mistakes, I'd rate it. Um, I'd rate it five stars. I had a really good department and I have really great mentors and I couldn't have asked for a, a more supportive environment, a better advisor, better mentors at the lab, better work environment. Um, consider even with all the backdrops, uh, even with all the um, negatives of academia, the department has those minimized fairly well. Um, I couldn't have asked for a better a better graduate school experience. I, it was exactly what I needed in some sense. Yeah, that's great. Five <laughs> out of five. What a great score. Five out of five. <laughs> if you're going to mathematics, UNL is a great place to go. Do it. I, I say yes, go for it. <laughs> <laughs> I want to, yeah, I wanted to ask you about uh, like being the an NMS, uh, NSF graduate fellow uh, oh yeah yeah like what was the application process like and is it like is it as cool as they say it is yes <laughs> yes yes and yes I am so grateful for the NSF graduate um, research fellowship oh my gosh one the application process I spent like I actually just did a seminar on this yesterday with um, the UNL um, office and giving a talk on the NSF GRFP and how to apply. And I think it's a great experience because not only is a not even if you don't get it, applying is a great experience because you learn how to work and rework when you're like new, you're, you're a very new student. So you don't know how to, you're not sure like how exactly how the research world works yet. You're having to learn how to do literature searches and you need to work with closely with an advisor so you know what you're doing and you know what you want to go for and it's really cool that way um and you basically learn how to write a grant it's basically preparing you how to write a grant how to write materials for um graduate student grants and then beyond from what i'm understanding it's a very similar process just more extensive for um like postgraduate stuff um and it made writing my other grants, because I also wrote one for the a DOE grant. Uh, I think it was my third or fourth year. I think my third year. Yeah, it was my third year. And it was so much easier having, mm -hmm. it was like went way faster. Like writing NSF materials took me months. And then after that, writing anything else was like, it felt so fast, so much faster. I felt like I had a plan. I kind of knew the boxes I needed to tick. I knew where to find the boxes I needed to tick. It was awesome. So just applying for it is a great opportunity and something you should definitely take advantage of. Um, you can apply for it as an undergrad in your senior year, or you can apply for it in your first or second year of graduate school. It's an early career fellowship. And um, I got it and I was so excited. I FaceTimed my undergraduate advisor because I, I got it in my graduate school. So I FaceTimed my undergraduate advisor at like seven o'clock in the morning, his time. <laughs> it was a good thing. I was like, I probably should have thought about that before, but I was so excited. I want to share it with him. And he's been a great cheerleader for me. He's been awesome. So I wanted to share the news with him and he was super excited. Um, and it turned out to be a fantastic. I got it at the end of my second year. So I started in my third year. And um, 
so those last three years, those first two years, I was a graduate teaching assistant. So I got a lot of my teaching there. And then my last three years, I was able to focus on research. But because I didn't have to do teaching, I was able to focus on something that I really loved to serve students as well, which was math modeling. So for the, my third year, I actually kind of helped restart some math modeling um, programs at the, the university, helped students prepare for math modeling competitions and participate in math modeling competitions. And then I went to Los Alamos. So it kind of was like, oh, well, just one year. And then some people took it over and then COVID hit. So I'm hoping to like, work with some students there to get it started up again, because we have materials and we have professors who are willing to volunteer. Also one reason why that department is great, you ask them to help you out with something, they will if they can, it's awesome. Um, so I feel like they're very graduate students in it. I like to say they have a good memory of what it was like to be a graduate student. So that's why I really appreciate my department. Um, yeah, so it really helped me not only focus on research and get a lot of research done, but um, it really helped me uh, serve my students community in ways that I wanted to serve and would have been a lot harder with the time commitment of a GTA, having to mm -hmm. teach courses and stuff. So I got to, instead of, like serving the student community through course, like teaching classes in the standard way, I got to serve them in an extracurricular way that was um, a little more involved than I could have been without the fellowship. So it really helped um, like fulfill the broader impact side of my application. And of course the research side of my application. And it helped me get done in five years versus like six. So that was really yeah. helpful. So that's great. <laughs> Yeah, it was really nice. Um, I, I very much appreciated it. I'm very grateful for it. And I think it was extremely awesome and, and extremely, um, yeah, it, it was just really helpful. And um, I really appreciated the support. It was very humbling to get it. You know, mm -hmm. we, we, <laughs> it was really humbling. I was like, oh, they believe that I can go ahead and, and do this. And I want to do this. And I want to do my best. And I I really think that I can do this because I've got a huge support system and I know what to do. And I have people who, when I don't know what to do, can help me figure out what to do. And um, it just helped me reach my goals and um, become a better scientist. So I, I think it was a fantastic opportunity worth at the application. The application itself was worth it for sure. Mm -hmm. I feel like I am, because I went to a, a grant writing workshop an NSF grant writing workshop, I think in my third year after I'd already gotten the fellowship, I'm like, oh, well, in a few years, I'll have to apply for, you know, grants for my research as a professor, right? If I want to go into that area. And I was like, oh, a lot of this is the same, the mm -hmm. same helpful tools, the same, um, the same ways to look at the application, the same ways to apply, the same things to think about and consider. This is really great. And I went to another one the other day. Um, and I was like, oh, very similar things to what I've already done. And a lot of it I learned by applying to that GRFP. And it was it was a great experience. It was a great experience to apply. It was a great experience to have it. I felt like I learned so much more and was able to do so much more with the freedom that it provided me. Yeah. So if you can apply, if anybody listening, if you're a senior undergraduate student or a first or second year graduate student, find someone who will work with you to apply for that NSF GRFP. And if you don't want to apply for that one or you're not eligible, there are other fellowships to apply for. And even if you don't get them, the application process is so worth it. So do it anyway. Because mm -hmm. otherwise you have to learn it later when you don't have classes and instead you're focusing on trying to get your research up off the ground and trying to get tenure or trying to do your, your two-year postdoc, two or three-year postdoc where you don't have as much time and you're trying to learn all that stuff. And it's 
it's better to learn it early. If you've got the time now, do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, I remember I, yeah, I applied and I didn't get it, but I think, yeah, it was really, it was really good to learn like, okay, this is what they're asking for. And this is this just kind of getting used to the idea of like, what are the broader impacts? What are the intellectual merits? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. What brings you joy? Oh, what brings me joy? Um, what brings me joy is resting in the fact that I know what I'm supposed to be doing and then pursuing what I'm supposed to be pursuing and that everything's going to be fine. And then also just going out into nature and seeing how beautiful it is and that we have the privilege, mm-hmm. we have the privilege of studying that. And it's, it's lovely. It's lovely to know that we get, we get to do this, right? If you look back at all the opportunities you've been given to get this far, who helped us along the way? Who somebody had to help us write our applications. We were not, we didn't know how to write applications, right? We didn't know how to. We didn't know what a derivative was. We didn't know. <laughs> we didn't know how to how to integrate something numerically or anything like that. But along the way, a lot of people have helped and give us the opportunity to do something that we love and people invested in us to do something really fun. It's really hard, but it's really fun. And I guess that just fills me with an overwhelming sense of gratitude Mm -hmm. that, Oh, all these people invested in me. I feel like I have to give back because who else gets to do what I get to do. And it's so much fun. And it's so amazing. And out of that joy comes this gratitude. Hmm. Out of joy comes gratitude, I think. You have all this joy and you're like, can someone else, someone else needs to have this too. And you just want to share that far and wide. And I think that's really important. And not being afraid to do that. And realizing, if you realize what's been given to you and how much you are humbled by that, I think it's a lot easier to give so that someone else can do what you do or do and do greater things than you do. I don't know. That's kind of a general answer. Very general, actually. That's beautiful. <laughs> oh, thank you That's for what sharing. I for. <laughs> uh, Elizabeth, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank uh, you for having me. This was fun. Thank you to Elizabeth for coming on the podcast. I think it's great that we talked about our different strategies for time management. I think that's something that newer grad students probably struggle with. At least I know that I did. We talked a little bit about approaching grad school as a job instead of just school. And I think that's an important mindset to have. We also touched on how important it is to have people who support you, whether it's fellow students, your advisor, or some community groups outside your department. I know that's kind of hard to do when everything is mostly remote right now, but I hope that there are either groups you can join remotely 
or that there may be groups you can look forward to joining when in-person events resume. Once again, thank you so much to Elizabeth, and I hope this episode was helpful for you in some way. This podcast was produced and edited by Sarah Roscoe, with a guest appearance by Elizabeth Carlson. The music at the beginning of the podcast and right now is called Funkarama by Kevin McLeod. You can find his work at incompetech.com. The music is licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 4.0 license. You can share this podcast with your friends. It's now available pretty much anywhere you get your podcasts. You can for sure find it on Apple, Google, Spotify, and Stitcher. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time for some additional conversation about more school pursuing higher degrees.